Hello, this is Deceptively Clever, the podcast. You know the drill. I call John, there's an object, two truths, a complete lie, and some unscheduled nonsense, I'm guessing. Enjoy. I just ran into my friend when I was walking, actually, and she told me that we can see the rings of Saturn tonight. Can we? Wait, well, no, well, I can't. Which made me... We then talked about being on the other side of the world. Are you a, a star-watching person? Nah, I can appreciate a, a good-looking night sky, but I'm not going to go out okay. and search for a star. You like seeing the stars, but you couldn't care less about their arrangement. Yeah, and I just find it very, just, I find it very satisfying when like, you're somewhere where there's not too much light pollution and you look up and you just see like beautiful, crisp night sky... Where there's no clouds, just all these little stars, and you just stare up and you're like... It helps if you're a little drunk as well. It does help if you're a little a little drunk. I agree, I don't think there's anything better. And it's one of the things I missed most when I was in England, because you don't have stars in England. <laughs> you're, in the wrong part of, you're in the wrong parts of England then. No, I don't think we went outside when I went to your house. You know where it would be nice to look at the stars? On top of that funny little hill in Windermere. Or a Ted. Exactly. Yeah, that would be a great place. Yeah, well, it was, wasn't it summer, though, when you visited? Yeah. Well, then, longer nights, isn't it? It's not like a winter night. What do you mean, longer nights? Uh, shorter nights, isn't it? That's what, that's shorter what... nights. Yeah, but why does, why, why does that matter? Because we're less likely to be outside when it's dark. Yes, but it's warm. We could have been outside. That's very true. What did we... we could have had more beers in that beer garden. Was that the tap? Yeah. Oh, I miss the tap. Is your search engine ready, Justin? My search engine is ready. What am I looking for? I would like you to search the Staffordshire Horde. Staffordshire Horde. Horde is in H-O-A-R-D. That's the one. And it's not going to be a specific object. It's a collection of objects. It looks like a Roman collection of objects. So the first thing is a helmet... Like you kind of think gladiator times, but think the soldiers in red capes. Helmet with a red spiky mohawk thing. The helmet comes down kind of over the nose and over the sides of the face. There is also what looks like an arm, a wristband that they put on their wrists. I can see a cross looking thing with a jewel in the middle. You should also be able to see there's basically... A lot of the horde features these red and gold sort of jewels where it's lots of red gems inlaid into gold. So that's sort of a a general theme of the horde, which is quite a nice thing to look at as well. Yep, lots of those. And I'm glad you found that helmet as well because that's going to come into the statements later. So keep that helmet in mind. Noted. So would you like to hear about the horde? Just about more than anything right now. Perfect. So I'll start off by saying I was interested when I found out that a hoard is a very specific word in archaeology where it's you find something that has been intentionally buried. So I I thought that a hoard was just like a collection that you find, but it is very much something that is hidden away or is buried for some certain reason. 
That's interesting. Yeah, I, I loved that when I found that out. So this one was obviously found in Staffordshire. So it was found by in a ploughed farmland near Hammerwich, Staffordshire. So this is in the Midlands. Midlands, for people think north of London on the map, just go straight up. Yep, but don't go too high. (laughs) Don't go, no. Stop before it gets good. Yeah, sort of just next to Wales sort of area. Well, actually, it's just slightly above Birmingham. Above Birmingham. It's just north of Birmingham. North of Birmingham, okay. Just get out of black country and you're in Staffordshire. Exactly, yep. It was discovered by Terry Herbert... On the 5th of July, 2009. So he sees this ploughed farmland and he goes to the landowner, Fred Johnson, and he says, do you mind if I search your field with my metal detector? And Fred Johnson says... He was a detectorist. He was a detectorist. And Fred Johnson says, yeah, no worries. I'm not that fussed. You're not going to find anything. I think he says like... Oh. He says to him like, I've lost my spanner recently. Why don't you... If you find that, let me know. Oh, okay, yes, this is ominous. But what he did find was over the next five days, he found 244 gold objects. So... 244 gold objects. Yeah. Jesus. How it works as well is that you have to report your fines. So it's a very legal process that you go through. So he contacted this guy called Duncan Clark, the fines liaison officer, and... He records it, and then there's, like, various excavations. So there's one in 2009, and there's one in 2012. And basically what they found was thousands of objects. So it was initial 244 found by um, Terry Herbert, but then they just found so much more, and it's the... or it was the biggest... um, hoard found in UK and Europe there's not nothing really compares to it so personally how it works is once you record it you it's all excavated you you record everything you find and then it's bought by a gallery so it was bought by the Birmingham um, Art uh, Museum and Art Gallery for 3.3 million pounds which then went to Terry Herbert and Fred Johnson 3.3 3.3 million pounds, and then it went evenly between the landowner and the finder? To be honest, I don't know how it was split, but I think it was fairly evenly. But then that caused issue because I think Terry Herbert claims that it's his discovery, but Fred Johnson says it's his land. So I read an article not too long, uh, not too long ago, which because this there was a it was 10 years ago. Um, last year, so lots of different articles came out about it, and one of them said that there's lots of tension between the two, and Terry Herbert very much said, I'll do an interview about the find, but I'm not talking about Fred Johnson. So it's definitely caused some rivalry between the two men. It sounds like Terry Herbert needs a public relations liaison, such as his (laughs) celebrity status now. I will talk about my new movie. I will not talk about rumours that I was found in murky waters. I have to say, I do really remember it when they found it and just it being amazing, but also lots of, and it was lots of tabloid articles that like to fuel the fire of all these things. But um, it was, it was, it, it, I can imagine that it would cause tension if you have two separate claims. 
goes two ways. I'm looking at it and I'm like, you split it half each and you get, I don't know what the tax situation on this is, but you get more than a million pounds. One guy never would have found it because he didn't have a metal detector. The other guy never would have found it because he didn't own a bunch of land. Yeah. It's hard to come out. If you come out of this situation unhappy, you're a miserable git. I just think that's the only. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're listening, Terry and Johnson, that's Justin's opinion, not mine. (laughs) If you're listening, Terry, yes. Sorry. We would love to have you on the show. Fred, um, I imagine it was quite inconvenient to have a lot more people than he bargained for coming onto his land and digging it up. It's fair. However, if he got less than a million, fair enough, be upset. More than a million, <laughs> probably tolerate it, mate. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. You, you want your fair share, don't you? Yes. So, But he did. I, I would have said I'm having half of the money if you find anything, if someone came to my land and said, can I start digging around? I wonder what the split was. Oh, maybe I'll, I'll research that at some point while we're talking about it. Okay. Um, so now I'm going to talk about the hoard itself because it is really, really interesting. So it's okay. a collection of Anglo-Saxon gold and silver, um, and it was buried in the mid-7th century, or at least they, with these things, it's very, very hard to get a sense of when it was. So I think they, they placed it around the year 650 and 675. So mid-7th century is about how good they can get. So these are lots and lots of very well-crafted objects um, and there's lots of care and attention paid to them. But what is interesting is that a lot of the objects are parts of bigger things. So it's not that there's 4,000... I think the number is 4,600 objects all around there. But it's not that there's 406,000 individual objects, it's that there's 4,600 parts of about, uh, I think, 700, 800 objects. So to explain that a bit further, if you have a sword, there's going to be, you're going to have the sword handle and that's going to have maybe like four or five different little gold objects. So it's very much broken down. Are you following? Yes. So... There's only objects from the aristocratic male world. So there's no high status female objects. And a lot of it is like war material. That's the heavy, the heavy emphasis on these are war objects. There is some Christian stuff, but very little. It's mostly war things. So a lot of sword handles um, and various things like that. There's only one complete object, which is a pectoral cross. The rest are all broken down. Are you enjoying this so far? You're spending a lot of time on the on the broken down bits. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm like, why are they breaking them down? So they don't know why they were breaking them down. Ah, oh, you're kidding me. Again, these are like, it's very much lots of questions oh. around it. So, yes, everything's just in pieces. Yeah. but It doesn't look like they've been smashed. No, no, no. It, it suggests Some of them are broken, but... It suggests that there's... An, and the fact that it's all buried intentionally suggests that there's lots of care as to why they are breaking them down. There's lots of care as to why they're burying it. So it's not just... It doesn't seem like it was just someone had all this stuff and they quickly buried it. Um, I think one theory, the one theory someone has is that they buried it because there was a Viking invasion. So oh, classic. Of course there was. 
the Swedes <laughs> were coming over and they went, no, you're not having our precious items. Um, and so this, and a lot of the objects are, another theory is that these are all objects that were gained in battle. So this was buried in Staffordshire, which was part of the Kingdom of Mercia at the time. So in this time in history, you've got different kingdoms in what is now England. And Kingdom of Mercy was very much in the Midlands. Um, so it's the same time as there's a famous guy called Sutton Hoo, and there's a big famous royal burial site. Sutton Hoo was a rival to the Kingdom of Mercy. So there's lots of battles happening at the time. They think they've got all these objects from these battles, maybe. They think some of it's from the treasury of the King of Mercia. And so they've, they've identified that some of the objects came from another kingdom in East Anglia. They think that some came from Northumbria. So it's a big collection of a lot of different objects and a lot of different crafting workshops and all this stuff. So it's a really, it's fairly eclectic. Um, and there's four kilos of gold and 1.7 kilos of silver. So it's, it's a, a big collection. Wow, that kind of makes sense. It, it was being collected and then split up through victory and defeat. Effectively, it's, the, it's the, the treasure main, of yeah the fight. The main thing we need to know is that it's a lot of objects of gold. <laughs> so much gold. Yeah, I feel like I've spoken so a lot much. there, and you're going to have to edit that quite heavily. But <laughs> I'm fascinated by. I, looking at it, I thought it was going to be from the end times of the Romans on the British Isles. Now I'm really interested that it's a bunch of different things from a bunch of different places with a bunch of different techniques and aesthetics that have been carefully dismantled to reflect treasure. So this is, this is before England was unified under one king. So this is lots of, lots of independent kingdoms with lots of different sort of, I suppose that, I suppose there were different societies to a certain extent. And they're Stuff all... Stuff was happening. Yeah, and they're all battling all the time. They hadn't even really started dealing with the French yet. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different thing. Right, would you like to hear my statements? I think I'm ready for some statements, yeah. Number one. I, I just mistakenly took a bite of um, cinnamon bun. Cinnamon bun. How is the cinnamon bun? Oh, it's genuinely delicious, but I won't eat it I've while. just coincidentally made one of the nicest martinis I reckon I've ever cultivated. Have you? From old vermouth. I had a, a nice bottle of gin, but not a bottle of gin I would really choose to make a martini from, so I added just a little bit of vodka just to lengthen it out a little bit, dropped in a slice of lemon, which is somewhat controversial, and, I mean, it's on point. Silky, luscious... Maybe I was just really ready for it. Is it helping getting through the podcast? Oh, I didn't need any help, but I feel like coffee in the first episode, martini in the second, isn't the worst strategy. Maybe I'll do that at we'll 11 o'clock in the morning in uh, Edinburgh. Um, no time too early, especially <laughs> not up there. Right. Then probably it'll probably be like some warm tinny of Stella. Oh, yeah. Be, Delish. I would have, I would have uh, qualms with that. Right. Let's do some statements. Number one. Statement one, one third of the items, or as many as one third, are from the same object. 
which is that helmet that you saw. Okay. Uh, statement two. It was the largest collection of gold and silver, well, the largest hoard ever found until very recently in February 2019. And statement three. Some of the items are estimated to be 100 years old at the point of burial. So they weren't all just recent objects they had. Okay, good statements because they could all be true. Good, I like that. A third of those coming from one helmet. That would be an odd thing for you to make up. (laughs) That would be a bold thing because I am sitting here looking at it. Lots of the pieces definitely could come from that helmet. Yeah, so if you, I mean, if you look at the helm, that's a that's a replica they've made, obviously. But as you can see, there's lots of different components to it. So around the top of it, there's lots of squares that you can imagine would come apart with depictions of looks like soldiers walking. You could see, you might even say that all those little tiny screws that you can see would be part of it. So there's yeah, there's lots to take away from that helmet. Whether it's a third of the 4,600 items. You just don't know. Calling that statement one-third or up to one-third is some... I feel like there should be a qualifying range. Um, it's up to a third. Turns out it's actually one one-thousandth. But it's up to a third. Um, <laughs> well, I feel like if you were going to bury it, you would want to take that helmet apart. You couldn't bury it in that kind of form because it would get pretty seriously damaged. Yeah, and I think when they're... When they're they're taking care to dismantle everything else. They're not going to look at the helmet and go, ah, we'll leave that. Yeah. <laughs> it, does, taking it, do, a, it does show, like, a high level of respect for the craftsmanship, I think, that they do take all these things apart. And a lot of them are preserved in, like, nice... They've been well looked after. Oh, uh, you say respect. I say let's preserve the value. That's fair. But then that, that... I say, yeah, if it was the workman's hammer and they, they wrapped the hammer in silk, I'd go, fair enough, you respected that workman. But then you're implying that the reason they've hidden it is to sell it on or because they just see the value in it, whereas I would say that they maybe hid it to keep it safe. Yeah, I'm thinking you, your commander comes along and says, I want you to go and dig that helmet up, and you dig that helmet up and it's dented, and they say, I'm going to cut your head off for that. How dare you, like... Um, I'm pissed now. <laughs> yes, I'm really annoyed that we won that battle for the sake of this goddamn helmet and you've dented it. <laughs> Die. Uh, <laughs> Die. Yeah. It's just like it's it's too many. I, 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 this should be the lie because up to a third of... Did you say 4,000 pieces? Yeah, I think, there's, I think they've got to about 4,600 individual items. So that's got to be more than 1,000. Well, that's, that's only in, from, I think, 700 to 800 objects. So it's Yes, but the total <laughs> number of pieces is more than 4,000, and up to a third of these has to be 1,000. It has to be a 1,000-piece helmet. You never know. Again, think of, of all those, think of all those little screws in it, because I think they look like they're made of gold, so they're going to keep them. Yeah, I could, if you broke... If every little tiny thing I can see, every tiny detail was broken up, I'm looking at maybe 600 around the thing that's that's a lot but i'm guessing it's not the lie so far because it's you've put it in first and oh bold it's it's just too easy to say that's the lie because it's not there's not enough pieces on there i'm guessing it's a 100 piece 
one, I'm guessing 100, maybe plus a few screws at this point. Let's go to statement two. What was the February 9, 2019 hoard cons consisting of? So this was a, this wasn't in the UK, this was in France. So this was in what was, what would have been the, I think it's pronounced Gallic region, but where the Gauls lived. Um, I don't know where, it's sort of just as you get closer to Germany, because it was a German um, guy who found it called Kurt Schiller, um, and they had found some texts that related to a battle. So he was very much searching in a, he was taking an educated guess as to where it was, and he was part of a bigger team. And they dug up a bunch of Gaelic objects. Um, and what was significant is they found more intact than the one in the UK. So they found more intact gold objects. So that made the value higher. So they didn't find as many, but they found sort of better objects, which placed the value at more at closer to 4.2 million pounds. You're measuring a gold hoard found between the French-German border in pounds. It's an interesting choice. Well, that's how it was converted in this article. Yep. That's so that it's not it not necessarily that the weight of gold was larger, but the total value of the find of the hoard was greater than the Staffordshire hoard. Yes, because they found they found a lot more intact stuff. What was the land arrangement for the French find? What do you mean land arrangement? Oh, like, was splitting, it a... splitting the value. Was it another farmer? Did that farmer also suggest they deserved more? I think it was actually a, like a forest, and I think it was publicly owned land. So I think oh, there so was... did Kurt get to keep any of the money? I don't know how it, I don't know how it broke up in this case, but I think that it was more that it was like state-owned land so i don't know how that would work and i don't know how the treasury thing was worked but i know that what kind of era and peoples was that hoard from so that was the fifth century so uh, ah, a bit older too yeah earlier as well which i think probably added to some of the value and it was because do you know much about them the ghouls they basically were no, not a lot they were very much constantly fighting with the Romans. So I think there was some Roman stuff in there as well. So uh, okay. in the German-French region, it's, I think they're like the... I'm definitely pronouncing it wrong, but it's like Gaelic Celtica or something, and they called themselves Celts, I think. Are we looking kind of near the Rhine Valley? Yeah, the Rhine Valley is one of the areas that they had, but I think it's just further slightly in France. Yeah, that would have been a hotspot for for Roman stuff. They would have been some heavily challenged people. I think the Flems were pretty strong in, above them by that point, or whoever predated the Flemish people. I just, that would have been a treach treacherous time. Hiding gold would have been good. Yeah, and I think there, it was like a weird combination of some Gaelic stuff and some um, Roman stuff as well. So it was like, a, a again you get the sense that these people are finding a collection of stuff and they're going, we need to hide it away. I will also say that this was more of a... This wasn't as, as lucky as Terry Herbert. This was more of a, like, educated collective. He was he was working with a group when he found it. It wasn't just 
the one bloke. Yeah, I feel like this one would have come from, you know, research. Yeah. And I mean, it would be so cool to be working on that kind of thing. It would be amazing, wouldn't it? It would have been less exciting for them because they had a plan, but then also the pressure would have been a bit higher. I think the expectations would, like, would have been greater. Yeah, I think it would have been sort of in a way more satisfying because you're like all this work you've put in and then it's just like it, it goes beyond your expectations. Yeah, no one sets out to find the biggest or whatever. Yeah. I think the first guy on his own, Terry, that would have, I would have had this moment of, can I just not tell anyone? <laughs> and can I just know that I found it and look at it? Like, I would be just thinking, oh, I'm about to have to do these stupid interviews with Rupert Murdoch-owned media companies where they all <laughs> ask me the same goddamn questions and all these professionals are going to come in with their blue tarps and they're going to take over my dig. And I'm going to lose connection with the earth and the things that I've found. I wonder, Whereas the other guys have gone in prepared. I wonder if anyone's ever like found something on someone else's land and then gone, nah, I'm not letting him have it. Taken it, hidden it somewhere else and then like stumbled upon it again. I reckon well, there's a 100% chance that's been tried. The problem would be like trying to come back to the same spot every day. And what you'd want to do is... Oh, maybe you could take in a bag of stuff that wasn't that valuable, like buttons. And whenever he comes over, you're like, oh, yeah, found more of these buttons, but I'm going to keep digging. Oh, I found more of these bottle caps. Oh, another ring pull. Uh, yeah, I'm, st- I'm starting to think that this place was a button factory. <laughs> yeah, I found this Coke can from 7-Eleven. It, it would be suspicious if he kept coming back 244 times to the same spot. But I think you could make it work. I'm really enjoying these buttons. I feel like I might finish my collection. <laughs> you go from like driving in on a bike to a 1982 Land Rover to <laughs> yeah. state-of-the-art military vehicle. Oh, no, never mind that, mate. More buttons. <laughs> what was the scientific basis for concluding that some of the items were 100 years old? So it's not so much scientific, I think, but it's more how and where they've found them and... Uh, well, actually, no, that's a lie. I think they've dated them. So they've found out that some of them were from earlier in the 6th century. So, uh, yeah. The majority of the objects in the hoard are gold and were made between 570 and 650 AD. Um, and they think that a lot of the, this adds to sort of the value of them, is that they have been kept and are familial objects that you then attach value to they're valuable because they're gold, but they're also valuable because they have um, family, familial connections. Therefore, they just keep passing them down and therefore they add value. And that's when they want to bury them in the end because they are so just important objects. Yeah. I mean, that's the least, in, not the least interesting. That's the hardest one to doubt as a state because it'd be quite hard to have that much gold and not have some of it be 100 years old. Yeah, and I think it's it's one of those things as well where it's like it's been collected from all over the place that um, when there's lots of different battles and lots of different sort of skirmishes, it could quite easily be something that someone's treasured from something years ago. And you don't want to let go of these gold objects either, so you're going to keep a hold of them and pass them down to your kids or whatever, and they're going to pass them down. So you can see how, you can see quite easily that there would be a hundred years old stuff in there. 
Yeah, it's the very nature of collectibles. Yeah. And they I'll, get collected. I like to think that that then adds to the mystery of why it was buried, because this isn't just a bunch of people finding stuff from one battle. This is a collection of things. It adds to the sort of eclectic nature of the uh, horde. Yeah, there's an infinite possibility of what happened to the people who buried them. Yeah. And also, I think in history, we don't give humanity to the people of his- history very easily, but suddenly we have something like this, and we think, what were they feeling at that very moment yeah. when they stuffed the most valuable things they had ever seen into the ground? Suddenly, there's a human in that story rather than a soldier. Oh, a definitely, yeah. definitely. A king. So that's cool. I do find it interesting as well that there's nothing that's like, there's no female objects. It's all male aristocratic stuff. That baffles me a little bit as well. That was an interesting detail. That also tells you interesting stuff about them because it's like what they didn't involve, what they didn't include in this horde tells you a lot as well. That's going off on a bit of a, that's going off on a bit of a tangent, but there you go. As a hypothetical, if you put together a legion of men and put all their valuable stuff in the ground and the women stayed home. Yeah. You would have a scenario where or the men got isolated because the women evacuated the settlement. Yeah. I would actually like to know what the people who know about this stuff think was behind the gendered nature of the finding. Yeah, I know, that'd be I mean there's definitely you could there's definitely lots of reading to do about it. I mean I was finding I can see many large books in the pictures. Yeah. <laughs> I was finding loads of articles and stuff, so well, this had everything because it was recent enough to have been written about. Yeah. But so it's broad enough. So a good topic on that on that level. So what are you thinking about the statements then? Are you struggling? I want to just chuck random questions at you and just try and catch you, but I don't think that's in the spirit of what we're doing here. <laughs> the problem is there is nothing... I don't know anything about the topic. There is nothing concrete, concrete upon which I could base true logic. I have the very boring strategy before me of rationally picking them. <laughs> so I would boring. say if two's a lie, you've put together an excellent backstory. Okay. I did not know that's where the ghouls lived. You're very quick on the names, quick on the details. I think two's the smart two's the smart pick. One is so obvious that if one is true, it sets up your entire play because then you can make three so intentionally boring, <laughs> so intentionally believable that i have no choice but to put a t next to it for true then it's about how brave do i want to get (laughs) i feel like if i picked two and two was the lie it would be the greatest play the greatest moment in this very short and otherwise pretty mundane history of my picks in this podcast (laughs) and boy do i want to do that and boy do i want to pull it off i wouldn't be angry if one was the lie and i didn't pick it but i just feel like there needs to be some principle of Soundness. You have to be able to justify why you're picking something other than the strategy of the game. <laughs> I like, I like going to. I'm just letting you yes. go off on this, and I'm letting you work it out yourself. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I, I I don't want to be an unpleasant person. I don't want to be any more of an unpleasant person than I already am on this podcast. <laughs> but it's not a podcast about catching lies. It's about talking about interesting stuff and seeing what kind of theory. No, it, no, it's not. It's a it's a podcast about lying to people. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's mostly factually accurate. I need. I would need to come up with a theory for why number one could be true. There is a. 
there's two different helmets on the thing, so it could be that the second helmet I'm seeing has a lot more details to it. But it is just not the case that that helmet can have the helmet that I'm seeing. That's another point, actually. The replica helmet would not have a thousand pieces. That would cost too much. They would just make a replica that looked like it would have a thousand pieces. Right, come on, just in time pressure now. What's your answer? Well, okay, I'm going to say that one is the lie, and I'm quite happy to have had you sow me a sow me a story on number two, but I'm marking it down as true. Number one's a lie. Not too stressed if I'm wrong. What have you got, John? <sighs> number one is true. Excellent. Before you even go further, how is that possible? <laughs> I know, it's very unbelievable, but I do think that I think that you have to pay attention to the lots of little small parts. And I think that quite easily a lot of the bigger parts could be quite easily broken down into individual objects. Not on these replicas. There's not a thousand pieces in that. <laughs> you'll have to... You'll have to I hope that I am right on that, and that I didn't just make that up as I was reading, but um, I'm pretty sure I, I, do, I double-checked it this morning as well. So uh, I'm not going to check. Um, that's cool. I think it was the phrase where it was like up to a third of the object, so I think there was some uh, leeway yeah. in that. If I was a mean person, I would just dispute that as a statement Yeah. in a game where you're trying to trick somebody, but you can, only, you can do no more than read what the statement says. Exactly. The yeah. research says it says up to a third. Um, in that case, then I really hope that number two is the lie. Number two is the lie. You are very, Excellent. you are very close, and I was very nervous. But yeah, you got that one wrong, unfortunately. No, yes, I, I figured it out. I just wasn't brave enough. But also, I feel very comfortable in my strategy of I have to have a good reason to go beyond the sensible, and in this case, I did not. Mostly owing to my poor knowledge of the French geography. It's actually made me feel very happy that number two is a lie because I did base it on some history, like it was the Gaul region and all this stuff, but I like completely butchered any pronunciations I did. So if that was true, then I was just like, it was going to be awful. But now I can just say that it was all a lie and it's irrelevant how I was pronouncing things. Were there Celtic... Gaelic people living there. Yeah, it's 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 like called Gaelic Celtica or something like that, and they I think they did call themselves Celts, and it was the middle of France into the Rhine region. Um, so that was true, but all the rest of it was a lie. I mean, you you maybe you could find some fifth century stuff there, but no one's found a massive horde <laughs> that was four million pounds tell you what i'm gonna do i'm gonna jump on a plane i'm gonna go and prove that one wrong <laughs> in the three days that it would take me to fly there i'm gonna go and find, then we're gonna have another podcast recording i'm gonna go find a guy called kurt schiller and i'm gonna make him dig some stuff up it was a good german name to pick because it wasn't too obvious yeah i also googled it to see if it was like a genuine german name and there is there was like some soldier or someone called kurt schiller but now he's close a, enough now he's a archaeologist Oh, yeah, I think that would have been too far if Kurt Schiller was an archaeologist, <laughs> considering the the online circles that I run in. Oh, good stuff. I Obviously, I must have looked at a bunch of this stuff in Birmingham. Yeah, it's a, it's a, fantastic, it's a fantastic exhibition in the uh, Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery because it's just, you basically walk in and it's just a big room, really, where they've just got absolutely beautiful, really, and you can see there's, the, how small some of these objects are to have such fine 
craftsmanship. It's there is some really stunning stuff in there. I recommend it to anyone really. That's good. I, I really struggle to get interested in this kind of stuff in museums. I don't think the narrative is compi- like a, just seeing the thing in a box isn't interesting to me. I think I think I think this one has the a lot of added narrative though, where you've got like there's so much mystery around it, and there's so many different theories and the scale of it. The, this has so many benefits. This uh, exhibition, I think. Yeah, and I'm sure they've curated it well, but like also in Birmingham because of its history in metalwork and making things like spoons, there are just so many spoons. <laughs> and they'll have like a whole room full of boxes, full of trays of different spoons, and then there'll be like a number and a description for every spoon. And I stand there and I think, look, I really want to be interested, but I can't help being drawn back to the Romantic era paintings. I do think that spending a lot of time in museums, you do realise when an exhibition is designed well because it gets you. A good exhibition will get you invested in a spoon. But if sometimes yeah. if they're just placed there in a box, you go, okay, I mean, you can tell me that it has value, but I'm not going to believe you. Or, I, or I'm not that I'm not going to believe you, I'm not going to care that much. But then when you go Probably to... Probably an example of that is Sheffield has far fewer spoons than Birmingham, but the spoons are laid out in a way where you get an appreciation of what the city was like at the time of the building of the spoons and why they were relevant, and I think they were a lot more interesting. That's yeah. in the, I don't know if it's still there, but that's in the Millennium Gallery. Yeah, they have the, they um, have the whole, um, the silver, because obviously, uh, uh, not silver steel, because obviously Sheffield steel, so there's, they've put a lot of care and attention to that one, and that one is actually quite good as well. Yeah. Probably a point on that, actually, they, that because of the size of the Millennium Gallery, they combine paintings and spoons, and they give each other context. There's that Most really weird sculpture have... as well, isn't there, made of cutlery outside it? Yeah. This is very specific to Sheffield now, if anyone's... <laughs> oh, it's a weird place full of weird people, but <laughs> it's the north. It's the north, so we love it. <laughs> That's fair. I'd like to read the understatement of the century from the medievalists.net for you, John. Oh, yeah. The, d- the detail and bold crested design means that the Staffordshire Horde helmet is likely to have had an important owner. Do you reckon? <laughs> this object was important. Thank you. <laughs> it's really good around here. Very nice little cafes and stuff, but there's one where we go to where they make very nice cinnamon buns and they sell out very quickly. So ah, Morgan went earlier. Cinnamon buns. Morgan went earlier and they didn't have any, so she went back again to get us some. So Oh, they restocked the cinnamon buns. No, they make them fresh, so they didn't have any. Yeah, yeah they, they, they... Are you still recording that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going, that's going in. Um, so you, you run an early play and if you miss out on the cinnamon bun, you go for a little like... What time do you reckon I should come back? Yeah, they and said they, say, they said come back in an hour and a half. So she didn't got will, two two warm cinnamon buns. Will they put two away for you? No, I don't. Think, no, I don't think so. No, no, it's an honor system. You can't just you can't play that game. When, they're so, when, they're, so, when say, they're so popular, there's no reserving them. 
They don't even care. It's like a game. You, yeah, winners and losers, it's just tough. What do you look for in a cinnamon bun that you like? That cinnamon flavour. <laughs> uh, What's the texture? Is it supposed to be light and airy? Or is it dense? This one is particularly fluffy, which I'm really enjoying. And it's got some very like, nice, very nice sugary icing on. Which oh, is, like white, sort yeah. of translucent icing? Yeah. I was imagining a rough top with cinnamon sugar. Quite a tall cinnamon bun. So there's lots of space for cinnamon on the inside, but just enough icing there. It's probably one of the best I've ever had. How do they get cinnamon inside? Like the, cause it's like a swirl of pastry. So in the swirl is the cinnamon. It's like a, it's like a Swiss roll, but instead of jam, you've got cinnamon. I think we call them scrolls here. We put Vegemite and cheese inside. Um, oh, what? <laughs> 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 we do, we do. <laughs> they put Vegemite inside and then they put just some cheese on top when they bake it. So the cheese will like set over it and then you bite into it, but you get it when it's cold and hard. Oh. So you're kind of like ripping through hard, previously melted cheese with a, a layer of Vegemite on the inside. Is it nice uh, or do you have to have it warm? You can warm them up. I spent a long time since I was eating cheese, but I would usually just buy them and eat them. Fair. It's the kind of thing you could buy in a bag of six at the grocery store and they would not be good because they were baked four days ago in Ireland yeah. and then sent out. Right, well, um, <laughs> I definitely think we have an outro now. <laughs> <laughs>